mind. We left off last week with the discussion about Jesus being the bread of life. And we mentioned that there was a particular struggle. What's the struggle that his audience had when Jesus says he's the bread of life? Nancy? They were thinking about it like materially. Yeah, they're thinking literally. Cannibalism? Yeah, very much cannibalism. Alright. Now, that being said, we also briefly discussed there being a doctrine or a teaching in a particular church that struggles with that whole literally being his body thing. Anyone remember that? Yes. Anyone? Alright, what is it then? Literally. Well, who is it? What's the church? Yeah. Nope. Come on, what church struggles with this whole flesh? Okay, the Catholic Church. And there's a word for this. I'm going to let Tyler tell us what the word is. Tyler, do you know what the word is? Where the blood and the body of Christ are the juice or the wine and the bread literally turn into that. There's a word for that belief, that they believe it changes over. Yeah, you, you put it in, and rather than digesting it, it turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus. Anyone know that, wor and that word? No. Okay. No. All right. Let's go, Robert. You got the trans part, because it turns into, it goes across. Trans what? Anyone remember this? Transcendent. Not transcendent. Trans. What? What'd you say? No, it's not transfiguration. Did you say it, Blake? No. I thought I heard it. You guys are just thinking of every word you can. Transubstantiation. I know, it was on the tip of all your tongues. What? Alright. So, transubstantiation. You guys understand what the prefix T-R-A-N, it's to go across and turn into. Okay. Now, hey, this will make sense when you, when you break down the word. Think of the word substance, okay? So, the substance changes into. You guys see that in the word now? Okay, so the substance, the, there is a transition in the substance. There is what's called consubstantiation. Now, you understand what the prefix con is, hopefully. What does C-O-N on the beginning of a word mean? Chili con queso. With, okay. Chili with cheese. Okay. Okay. C-O-N means with. All right. And then there is one last one. And that is representation. Guess which one of these we as Bible Church, Baptist, Evangelicals believe? The first one. No. This is the accurate one. Okay? It's a representation. It's a commemoration. It's a memorial. It's, this has nothing to do with that other than reminding me that that's what it was. Roman Catholic Church would teach transubstantiation that it turns into. 
a Lutheran church, someone that comes out of the Catholic church, they would more lean on a consubstantiation, and that's that the substance that you consume joins with the shed blood in the body of Christ. So it's kind of a halfway, but the, the struggle that we have with that is that means that there is the Christ's body is still broken, right? Because this is what he says, is this is my body that's broken for you. Does his body stay broken? No. Okay, it's, he receives that glorified body in his resurrected state. So he doesn't stay broken. All right, does that make sense? This is actually a big deal when you're talking the Reformation. Um, you guys know about the Reformation, right? Yeah, Martin Luther. Yeah, All right. Yeah, the 95 Thesis on the door, church door of Wittenberg, Germany. Okay, so it is not the literal body and blood, but that's what they thought. They were struggling with that. You mean to tell me Jesus says that unless we eat or share his bread, his body, that we're not going to take part with him? No, that's not what he meant. It was more of the identification with his suffering. All right, so in verse 35, someone read that for us. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. All right, someone else, verse 36. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. 37, someone else. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes uh, to me, I will by no means cast out. Someone else, 38. For I come down from heaven, not to be my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Someone else, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but rise it up on the last day. Verse 40, someone else. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All right, what did we just read? Oh, wait. What did you just read? So, all right, let's work through verse, verse by verse. What did we just read? Someone look at verse 35 again and tell me what did we just read? Briefly touched on it last week as we were wrapping up. Jesus calling himself the bread of life. Okay, Jesus calling himself the bread of life. And what's the result or what are the benefits of Jesus being the bread of life? Whoever comes to him will never be hungry. All right, whoever comes to him will never be hungry. And then what else did he say? That connects us back to a previous passage. Okay, Tyler said, or thirsty. Where does that connect us to? The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Okay, verse 36. So we were talking about Jesus being the bread of life. What's 36 say? Jesus talking to his disciples, you see me, yet you don't believe. All right. So they, he has said, I have this for you, but you look at me and you don't believe me. 37. Someone explain it to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Okay, the Father draws people. What do you mean, Tyler? So, like, the people who are saved or believers have been drawn by God. All right. Let's ask this question. Does God choose who gets saved? Does God pick those who will be saved? He knows who's going to get saved, but he chooses. He knows, but he doesn't choose. Verse 37 tells me this, Anna. 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. Does that sound like God knows but doesn't choose? What's it sound like? That he chooses. Zach? That he chooses? So how do we how do we work this out? This is this is a big discussion. And this is something you've got to think about. Does God save people? Does God choose people to be saved? Or do people choose God to save them? Nancy? I think that it's that um, God chooses people to be saved because naturally you just never go there and you think about sin. So pretty much um, we don't choose him, he chooses us. Okay, because naturally we would never choose him. Yeah. All right, how many of you are comfortable with God choosing everyone that gets saved? How many of you are like, I'm good with that? How many of you are like, uh, I feel like that might have some, some tough spots to, to reconcile with? You okay with that, Malachi? Are you okay with God choosing everyone to get saved? Like, whoever gets saved, they were a selection by God. You're not okay with that. What's, what's your, Malachi, what's your rub? Like, what, why do you kind of not like it? It's not fair? Why is it not fair? You were already dead. You were already going to hell. So, so let me get this straight, Malachi. Because you were already going to hell, because you were a sinner, and God does not select you for salvation, that's not fair. He, he is okay. So we can't confuse the word fair with just. Fair and just are not the same word. All right, Malachi. See, your premise is this: that there is like almost a neutral ground, and that because God didn't choose these people, now they have to go to hell. Right? Is it? I don't want to misrepresent you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to talk through what you're thinking. Right? Alright, Malachi. If God chose no one to be saved, what would happen to everyone? And is that fair? Why is it not fair? No, like this is a this is a legit tough conversation to have. How do we work our, our brains through this? Because, see, we look at it in the sense of if I handed out a candy bar to everyone in the class except for a couple people, you'd start throwing out, that's not fair. No. It's my candy bar. It's my choice to give it who I want to. See, you're looking at it as in the sense of reward. So, Malachi, my question is this. If I didn't give anyone a candy bar ever, is that still fair? Is it also just? Okay. So why does the fact that some get a reward suddenly make it unfair? But does it have to be equal? Well, in order for it to be fair, 
Okay, but we've already established God's not a fair God. He's a just God. He will always do what is just. Robert? I think everybody gets a Okay, so you're you're suggesting that everyone has the opportunity to be saved, and then they choose not to. Okay, but it clearly says all that the Father gives me, meaning that there is a compartment of people that move from one spot to Christ because God gives them to Christ. Is that a fair representation? You guys are reading the same Bible I am. So, go ahead. So the people who would choose not to would be the people that were not chosen to be saved. Yes. So that would still work. The people who choose, who chose to accept Christ as their Savior would be the ones that uh, were picked by God, and the people who chose to not accept it would be not chosen by God. All right, Malachi, you still got John 6 in front of you? I want you to read verse 37 loud enough for the group. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All right. So Malachi, here's what we have to understand. You have this concept of salvation. Alright, Malachi, what's the opposite of someone receiving salvation? Okay, and which means what? Alright. Damnation. Where does everyone start? They take their first breath, and where do they belong? Where do they, which category, Malachi? Okay, so let me get this straight, Malachi. Everyone starts out in damnation. And if God doesn't select certain individuals to move over to the salvation category, then God's not fair. Even though they were born into damnation. And it's God's fault that they're here. Is it God's fault that they're born here? No. Whose fault is it? Adam's. Adam's. And then, as they grow, whose fault is it that they stay here? Themselves. Themselves. But it's God's fault that they don't move to salvation. Because we said if they weren't chosen, then they can't, they have no option. Right. So here, you read verse 37. Read it one more time. Uh, Who moves from damnation to salvation? Whoever comes with Jesus. Okay, let's read the verse. Read the verse. Let's get the Bible words. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, Malachi, you said you were uncomfortable with God giving salvation to people. Because not everyone gets it. Yeah. Alright, that's the first half of the verse, though. What's the second half of the verse say? Uh, and whoever comes to you, I will never cast out. It's two sides of the same line, Malachi. See, you weren't comfortable with God giving someone salvation. But Jesus says in the exact same sentence, whoever God gives me is going to come, and everyone that comes to me I'm not saying no to. It's not two categories of there are people over here that get saved because God said, I'm choosing you, and there are people over here that are getting saved because you chose me. If you choose to come to Jesus, it's because God chose you. Does it make sense? So it's not that God gives some salvation and there are other people that come this different route of choosing. Jesus says, God gives them to me, and whoever comes, making it sound like it's your choice whether or not you show up, he doesn't say no to you. 
Now, you're comfortable, Malachi, am I correct, to say that if people choose not to believe, then they deserve to be damned. Because they chose it. But you're not comfortable when it's God's choice. Maybe. Maybe not. Here's the other question, Malachi. Does God do anything that's wrong? So if he does not choose someone for salvation, is it wrong? It's hard for you to understand. But that doesn't necessarily make it wrong, does it? And so what we have to identify is you and I are God. We present the gospel. We share the gospel. We challenge people to believe the gospel as if it's entirely Malachi on them to choose. But we know if they choose, it's because God called them. Does that make sense? Which is why we pray to God asking him to save our friends and family that are not believers. If we really didn't believe that God called people, Jeremy, we wouldn't ask him to save people, would we? If God had no power over saving someone, why would we ask him to do it? So why does he, why does he pick people Great question. Someone else answer Jeremy's question. Why does God pick some people but not others? In that same sense where it says God gives and right under they come, you could read that in the opposite. God doesn't give, they don't. So that still makes it seem like it's their choice that they didn't go to Jesus. God raised up Pharaoh to give an example. He did. Can you talk a little louder, Jeremy? If I was born on a secluded island, I would have no, if he didn't pick me, then I would have no way of. Maybe, maybe not. Here's what I do know there'd still be no injustice within God. All right, someone answer Jeremy's question. How does someone who's never heard the gospel, what do we do with those people? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? Do you know where to go to answer that question in your Bible? Does the Bible talk about it at all? How do I, how do I wrestle with what Jeremy's wrestling with? Okay, good, Tyler. You know, you know where to go. You just don't know where it is. All right, Tyler's referencing that there are people that have been revealed certain things, Jeremy, through nature, and they are what could be known about God. They've rejected. All right. Yeah. It does. Well, let me ask you this question: If Jesus isn't born until one or 4 BC, what did all those people who lived thousands of years prior to Jesus do for salvation? I mean, there, there, this is where we would understand people had faith in the promise of God that was revealed to them. Now what that promise was, it changes over time. Noah's, Noah's faith is not in that there's going to be this Messiah that's born later. What's Noah's faith? 
Right. So he built an ark out of his belief. What was Abraham's faith? Where did it show up first? Okay, but where does Abraham first demonstrate his faith in the, the God that makes a promise to him, Zach? Yeah, when he leaves his hometown. Is it fair? I mean, let's be honest. Is it fair that some people have to believe in a crucified Jesus and Abraham just has to move out of his hometown? Like we, we have to wrestle with this idea that God chooses over the Old Testament to interact with people differently. I would suggest to you that Ruth, her faith and demonstration was, I'm a going with you. Like, we have these people that demonstrate their faith in who he is without believing in Jesus. Now, where this twists and completely changes the conversation, Jeremy, is once Jesus comes to the cross, that's where the conversation changes. Right, we are now under a new covenant. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is God still allowed to save people by revealing himself to them through nature after this new covenant? See, when we start asking ourselves, if we get to be the justifier, do I get to declare what's righteous? Do I get to declare what's not righteous? What do we do? All right, I'm in Romans chapter 1. Will you join me there? I want you to read Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, Jeremy. That's where we have to go to answer this question you're asking. And then we're going to have to go to Romans 9. But Romans is where we go for our answer. Tyler knew. He knew the general content. So Tyler knew he needed to end up in Romans 1. With a little bit of word searching, Tyler probably could have found it with the computer. All right. So, verse 16, hopefully you know verse 16 of Romans 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness, okay, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So Malachi, back to our conversation. God's wrath is revealed on all people. Who by their unrighteousness, verse 18, what is it they do because they're unrighteous? They suppress, they hold down the truth. How do they do that? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now, I don't know what God has shown to them, but here's what I know. Paul records that what can be known about God was made plain and clear to them. And some people who are unrighteous, they hold it down and they say, uh-uh, it can't be God. Does that make sense? They do something to say, I don't believe that truth. Now, he did not say that they reject Jesus as Savior. He's saying the God that is the Creator has revealed Himself and they are suppressing this truth. What did He do? What is He revealing to them? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. His invisible attributes. The things you can't even see. Like what? 
namely his eternal power, his divine nature. Those things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. He says there are people that look at creation around them, and it's been revealed to them through that creation that there is a creator God, and they choose to say, I don't believe that. And they've been declared unrighteous because they reject it. Now, Jeremy, I don't know, and I'm not God, so I don't get to say what does and doesn't happen. But I would not be surprised, and I would not have a problem, if the individual on the remote island glorifies an eternal being because of the creation around them, and God lets them into heaven. I'm just saying if God chooses to save someone... He's the one who does the choosing. So he gets to decide when and where he does and doesn't choose someone. Now, in some instances, he may choose to send the gospel to those people. He may choose to send more to them. But whatever he chooses to do, I know will be right and just. Right, because we never will. So let's read on, because this kind of makes a little more sense as we go on. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images. Well, how did they start suppressing the truth? They took this immortal God and they started making him into little images. That would be an example of them rejecting the creator God. Those images then resemble mortal man and bird and, and animals and creeping things. So verse 24, God gives them up. He lets them go of, the impure, of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We don't have time to read all the way through Romans 9. But in Romans chapter 9, Paul wrestles with <clears throat> whether or not God's choosing his sovereign choice is right. And he lists the example of Jacob and Esau, and then he goes to Pharaoh and Moses. And look at verse 14. So if God's picking and choosing, Malachi, this is your question. If God is choosing people and some aren't getting selected, then here's the question we have, Malachi. This was your question. What shall we say then, verse 14 of Romans 9? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unfair? Is God unjust? Paul says, by no means. Why does he get to do that? Well, he told Moses this. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And Blake, this is what you mentioned, that God raised up Pharaoh simply to make his power known. So then we start asking questions, verse 19 why does he still find fault? Why is God still looking for fault if this is the case? 
And he says, verse 20, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are we to question God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one vessel for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand. Let's explain it this way. I don't know. You're playing with Play-Doh, and you choose out of the same large container of Play-Doh that you're going to make a toilet, and you're going to make a cup. And you, because you designed the Play-Doh, you get to choose which lump becomes the toilet, which lump, which lump becomes the cup. You would be willing to drink from the cup because it is a cup. And you made it as a cup. But you would not be willing to drink from the toilet. And the toilet doesn't get to say to you, why'd you make me into a toilet? The cup does not get to say to you, why'd you make me like a cup? But here's what happens. The cup realizes, thank you for not making me a toilet. That is how salvation works in the understanding of it. You don't deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. But when you realize that God has drawn you to himself and made you a vessel for honor, he has drawn you to his son, you have come to the son and you are not cast out, as John 6 tells us, you look around and you start to see a bunch of clay that has been turned into a toilet that is for refuse and will be destroyed ultimately. And your response should be, Thank you, God, for not making me a toilet. If you are a believer, your worship to the Lord should be out of, thank you for not leaving me to myself. Because I see what leaving me to myself would do, and I don't want to be the toilet. Thank you for making me a cup. Father, we thank you for the time together. Thank you for the ability to wrestle with the truth of the word of God and to see how it impacts us and I ask that you would help these students to wrestle with that truth this afternoon that they would seriously consider whether or not they are clay that is being made honorably or whether they are clay that is being made dishonorably and we are given the blessing father of not knowing which one it is and so I ask that you would help us to seek out you and your will that you would see fit to make every one of these students a vessel of honor. That they would be redeemed, that they would come to you because you have chosen them and because they have obeyed your word. Be with us as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.